Hello, welcome back to the How to Eat Alone podcast with me, Julia Georgialis. I'm a baker and I write about food. This podcast discusses issues surrounding loneliness, solitude and solo dining. In it, I talk to different people about various aspects of being alone and every episode comes with a recipe based on something we've discussed during the show. Each of these recipes is designed to be cooked by one person and one person only because I find that most recipes are written for two or more people, which is a bit annoying for the solo cook. Over the last few months, I've been back and forth between Portugal, which is where I used to live, and the UK, which is where I'm from. And all this moving around really made me question, where is it that I feel the most at home? As the daughter of immigrants, so my dad is first generation Cypriot and my mum is second generation Cypriot, the question of home and where is home is something that I've often asked myself. I do consider myself British, obviously, but there is always this idea that I'm kind of in the middle of two cultures. I'm not quite Cypriot and I'm not quite British. And then on top of that, having also had the experience of emigrating to Portugal and living there for a while, made me question further, you know, where do I actually belong? Something that really surprised me when I first got back to London from Lisbon was just how pleased I was to see on Southgate High Street. So just to fill you in, Southgate is in North London, it's where I was born, and it's home to a quite considerable Greek and Turkish Cypriot community. So opposite Southgate Tube Station, there's this little cafe called Alex's Cypriot Sandwiches and Soups. Underneath the main sign for Alex's sandwiches, it reads Dachana and Avolemono. Now, if you're not Greek Cypriot, you won't know what these are, but they are incredibly traditional soups, very specific to Cyprus. Dachana is a sour soup. It's made from fermented or, or soured milk, rehydrated cracked wheat, and um, usually you add halloumi cheese or feta cheese. And then Avolemono, which is my favourite, is a soup made from chicken stock and long grain rice. And then you whisk an egg and lots of lemon juice, add that to the the stock. And I usually like to top mine with cinnamon as well. Now, by no means are either of these soups particularly trendy. Dagana and Avolemono are very much an acquired taste. It's just not food that caters to British tastes, like perhaps other Cypriot dishes. But it's really important, and I didn't actually realise how important it was to have restaurants and cafes like Alex's Cypriot Sandwiches and Soups that serve these unpopular, culturally diverse food. And I kind of realised that when I moved to Portugal, the foods that I missed from the UK was this kind of food. It was the idea that I could buy home cooking, you know, food that tasted like my grandma's food on my local high street, even if it wasn't necessarily part of mainstream culture. You know, eating things that taste like home very often make us feel like we're at home. And, you know, for people like me who are from a diaspora, which can be a disconnecting experience, that makes you feel connected. It it, it makes you feel like you really do belong. The pandemic affected how all of us accessed food. It, It might have been something as simple as having to change the way we shopped because we weren't supposed to be going to the supermarket all the time. But then, you know, more seriously, it affected physical access for many people. So 
some people who couldn't get out the house to get food because they were shielding or, you know, perhaps they might have lost income and couldn't physically afford to feed themselves and their families. And it also restricted access that diasporas and minority communities had to their own culturally appropriate food. So lots of restaurants serving minority communities might have had to shut down or perhaps members of certain communities lived a little bit too far away from specialist shops so they weren't supposed to be travelling all the way to access their own culture's food or perhaps the ingredients. So, you know, there was lots of different ways that the coronavirus affected food access but perhaps not being able to access culturally appropriate food is something that someone who isn't from an immigrant community might not have realised was a problem and, you know, not having access to your own culture's food can be really isolating. Over lockdown, disconnection and isolation trended upwards, right? But at the same time, charity and people stepping in to help their own communities also trended upwards. And one of these people whose generosity and energy for helping people that seems to know no limits really is Ali Kakande, who is kind of the accidental founder of an initiative called Carabeats. Carabeats is akin to Meals on Wheels, but it's the Caribbean version of Meals on Wheels. Delicious. They provide dinners for some of the most vulnerable and isolated members of a very notable Caribbean community living in and around London's Hackney, which is one of the boroughs that really struggles with food poverty even before COVID-19 showed up. I wanted to invite Ali on my podcast to discuss how and why she started this organisation and, you know, what are the issues that she is dealing with? Thanks for being on my podcast. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, maybe a great way to start would be to tell me a little bit about Carabeats and how it started. So when lockdown was announced, not once did I think... Oh, let me start a Caribbean food business. <laughs> Furthest thing from my mind. My mum was English and my dad's Jamaican. I'd grown up around food. And my auntie's got a bakery. She had like an outside catering business, making food for functions, weddings and all sorts. It's hard work. So I didn't, it, it was never on my agenda for me to start anything to do with food. So anyway, lockdown's announced. It's Sunday and I'm at home and I'm cooking some up. I'm cooking some curry chicken and hard food do you know what hard food is what is hard food yeah so hard food is yam banana maybe boiled plantain dumpling potatoes some people call it irish and altogether they call it hard food so i was cooking that with curry chicken anyway so i'm on this whatsapp i'm on all these mutual aid groups you join a mutual aid group in your area say say you lived in stanford hill there'd be mutual aid group for that I don't know if people needed help, so I just joined quite a few. So, so this woman, I didn't know her, said, OK, I've got a request. I know somebody's not going to be able to eat today. Um, he's struggling. Can, could anybody, like, give him a meal? So I'm like, oh, I can put him another plate out. So I responded. And then she goes, oh, can I put you in touch with his sister? I was like, OK. And next thing, I'm talking to this woman. I don't know, I think she was in Norwich. And she's like, oh, I can't believe a stranger's going to go and give food to my brother. I was like... Yeah, it's not a problem. Then I told my friend about it and she said, pick a meal up for me because she's cooking. So I did and I went round there to this guy's house. I knocked on the door and stepped back. This guy had learning difficulties and I think mental health difficulties and all his support had stopped like overnight. 
And I, I think food is a really important part of his life. His mum had passed away. And it just so happened, he said the only food he wanted was Jamaican food. And what I was cooking was like Caribbean food. So that was the start of Caribbean, but it didn't have a name. That's just put a massive smile on my face. It, I mean, I'm guessing he's like from Jamaican background. It's what he's grown up with. And sometimes that is all you want to eat. You just want your mum's cooking or your grandma's cooking. It's so interesting you say that because I remember my aunt saying, who's not from the Caribbean, she's a white lady, and she said, oh, imagine if I was in hospital in the Caribbean and the only food they was bringing me was the food from the Caribbean. She was, I've not grown up on that. I'd have to eat it, but... It wouldn't be of any comfort to me. And she goes, so, so it's only the same thing here. Like, if people are struggling and they're requesting a certain cuisine because that's what's familiar to them, it shouldn't be a problem. So that's how it started. Me, well, three friends. Two of the girls cooked. Me and the other girl, we picked up the food and we delivered it. We went from one meal to five meals to ten meals to where, at one point, we were cooking between 70 and 100 meals. Wow. After about four weeks, because we were paying for it ourselves, we said we had to come up with a name because we wanted to do, like, a little crowdfunder. So I was like, OK, Caribbean, Caribbean, eat. Caribbean, and it just come out. So our name, we got our name, and that was the start of it. I can't describe how the roads were. It was so, it was so eerie, you know? There was no traffic. I, I don't think I'll forget that. And me and the other driver, we speak about it, how it was, you know? She used to deliver with her son, and she was so grateful because her son got to meet a lot of those people that we were delivering to. And she was grateful that he, he was seeing what people do who care about their neighbours, which is lovely. At the moment, Carabeets kind of focuses on Hackney's Caribbean community. And I know you mentioned that there was that one guy who had lost all his support, but generally, who does Caribbean support? Who are the people that you're cooking for? So it's a mixture. The elderly, the isolated, the carers, the people who come out of hospital. In in the height of lockdown, it was quite a few people who's, who had sickle cell. Who You know, there was a, a part of the community who, who couldn't leave the house, right? They were yeah. shielding for a very long time. Quite a few people who were caring for their partners, husbands or wives. One of my people I was delivering to was a lady. And she was married. She was living in a very small flat with her two daughters and her grandchildren. And every week I'd deliver her and she was really cheering. She's like, thank you, Ollie, thank you so much. And just really, really grateful. I didn't know why her husband had the most severe dementia. Oh, man, so she, what, that meal meant so much to her once a week that she didn't have to worry about food. Money was tight. There was, there was a few other people like that where they were caring for the partner who got dementia. And so I remember early on, my friend was just saying, like, what's the criteria? And, you know, you've got to be stripped of the criteria. And I was like, I don't know. Right now, if somebody is asking and they're struggling, I, I'm, I don't want paperwork to be a barrier. What was apparent is our meals were sometimes given carers a day off or people who were... You know, having a day off from cooking. I'm not struggling and I don't want to cook every day. So yeah. if you're struggling, you do not want to cook every day. You do not want to cook three meals a day. It's a real treat to have someone cook for you. It was also the connection because as time went on, we got volunteers who'd pick up the meals and go and deliver. And the relationships just started to be built. I mean, I remember one guy, he was one of our volunteers. He was delivering to this woman. He was delivering week in, week out. 
and one day i don't know they must have been talking about someone and she then said you do realize i'm blind right and he's like what when they spoke more that woman hadn't been out of her house for six months over six months the meal was one thing but having him come every monday at such a time it was it was something she needed so yeah it was a mixture of people so we, we did that from the week, first week of lockdown and we carried on for like 15, 16 months. And then funding became a bit of an issue. I needed to take a break. I needed to take a pause and I needed to think about like where I was going moving forward. Caribbean is needed, right? It really is. But how I was doing it wasn't sustainable for the, the project, the organisation or me. I built up so many relationships in that time and real support and which was which is lovely i was even at a meeting last night and what one lady was just saying people really want you to succeed and they really want caribbean to succeed so i paused but in the background we're going to be a tenant in a base in, in stamford hill which is lovely so i'm just fundraising for that and i'm just working out what that's going to look like the minute I heard about this project, and it was like nine, ten months into the pandemic, I really want Carabeets to succeed. And I'm, and I wonder if we could talk about why is it that this has hit a bit of a nerve? I mean, I guess it is all focused around the Caribbean community and the issues that they've faced. What is it about this project that makes everyone so excited, do you, do you reckon? I think what lockdown did, right, was highlight the issues that people were already going through. Yeah. The people that were you know, the recipients, the people that were serving. The isolation is not suddenly going to go away. You know, the bank account's not going to go up as soon as lockdown comes out. People who are on universal credit may still be on it. My thing was about dignity. If somebody's asking for help, they're asking for help right now. They may not need that in the future. You may be the person giving the help. You may need help in the future, right? So I did this because I could at that time. Dignity was always really important to me and I wanted that for the people I was, we were serving. And so I think maybe the reason why some people kind of bought into it or wanted it to succeed, I, I decided that just because what we were doing was offering somebody help in a, in a time of their life where they needed a bit of support, that didn't have to be dreary and grey, you know? And how I spoke about it didn't... I, didn't, I just spoke about it from the heart. It wasn't trying to pull on your heartstrings i think it was that in that period we were all there was reflection right we were people reflecting some quickly some slowly some deeply and some just maybe it was fleeting people kind of heard people should be able to ask for what they want if they're struggling it should be their cuisine obviously there's lots of caribbean food shops right but this was different we were getting we were given this food so there weren't a lot of people doing what we were doing there wasn't a lot of people cooking food that was culturally appropriate food. Whatever I do in the future, whatever happens in this new space, and, you know, I've got to think about how I can run this as a business to be able to continue doing what I started. There'll always be an essence of how, what I started, and that was serving the community, and that won't change. But how I do that might change. What are yeah. your plans for the future? Basically getting in that new base, being able to cook from there. And I think there's quite a few opportunities to be able to run a canteen and, you know, people are asking me to, you know, for, like cooking lessons and basic Caribbean cooking skills. So I think it's about a model that 
we charge some people who we can charge and that then would enable us to be able to to give some of the meals away sign me up for caribbean cooking class yeah exactly (laughs) it is really fun it's kind of like what you were saying about how it's not i mean i know it does pull on some people's heartstrings but i don't really think caribbeats is like that i think it's actually quite uplifting is there one dish that everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. That reminds me of something, you know, that reminds me of my mum or my grandma or my aunties. I think it's different because there were so many people getting the food. I think it was just the fact that it was cooked in a certain way. You know, when we'd spoken to lots of people and people just give you feedback, you know, and it was just like, oh, this it reminds me of home. We got that a lot. So I think it was about the preparation. You know, I was in a meeting last night. It's, it's about food justice this meeting and one of the ladies she's a she's a personal trainer basically she was saying you know the guidelines for the government saying you know this is healthy this is healthy not once do they mention yams you're totally right it is from a a very kind of english or you know british perspective this is why it's important for initiatives like carabeets to exist though it is changing slowly government guidelines for food are still very much centered around the very British meat and two veg. But ultimately, and I think a lot of people know this, people with native British heritage don't eat this way anymore. You know, who's eating a roast for dinner every night? British diets are so much more multicultural now. You know, British food is chicken korma and spaghetti bolognese and it's kebab and it's yams. I remember just being in some workplaces and It'd be, all right, let's get Caribbean today. And who's eating that Caribbean is not just Caribbean people. No, of course not. Like, everyone eats different things every day, and that's actually balanced. When we had a discussion last night, one lady who works in body liberation... So I just need to interject here and explain what body liberation means, because I didn't really know what it was. According to the Centre for Health and Wellbeing at the University of Vermont... Body liberation is the freedom from social and political systems of oppression that designate certain bodies as more worthy, healthy and desirable than others. We do not believe that bodies that are white, able-bodied, cisgender, thin or fit are superior, worthier or inherently healthier than any other body. So that's the definition and it also extends to the idea that certain diets eaten by certain Minority cultures are less healthy or less worthy or less correct than others. She was just saying that what we're told is healthy and, you know, what we should be eating. Actually, in her experience, all right, some people's dishes may not be, I don't know, say her favourite dish is like fried chicken and potato salad. Oh, there's too much fat, there's too much this. But the benefit of maybe that being a comfort to that person can have such an effect... It can outweigh the fact that, you know, nobody's suggesting you eat that every day, but that there's something in, like, what that does, you know, does that affect your well-being? Food is... It can bring people together. Yeah. It can be lovely. Probably a really good way to end this would, would be to, to ask you, like, what, what your favourite thing to cook on your own is. Like, what do you like to eat? This is, this is not cooking. <laughs> <laughs> it's from, far from cooking. One of my favourite things is a really nice piece of bread whether that's brown fresh bread or white bread some roast chicken tomatoes black pepper maybe a little bit of mayonnaise if i can be bothered cut in half bag of plain crisp heaven 
Oh my god. For me, it would be salt and vinegar with the chicken, though. Oh, oh Julia, we don't do salt and vinegar. Like, what? Salt, salt and vinegar it's crisps is my favourite crisps in the world. How? But, like, in the chicken sandwich. No, okay, okay. <laughs> but actually, just putting your hand in and eating a, a salt and vinegar crisp, there's got to be no alternative. Fine, so. all right. I, I, I appreciate that. I feel that way about uh, cheesy crisps. I can't eat cheesy crisps. But so, but ultimately, your, your dish is like chicken, bread, tomatoes, and a packet of plain crisps. Yeah, up north where I'm from, we, we call it like a chicken butty. And I can't eat, very rarely can I have a sandwich without crisps. I don't know if it's a northern thing. I wonder if it comes from like being a kid though sometimes. That's what we used to do, isn't it? When we when we had our packed lunches, I'd always put crisps in my sandwiches. I find that it reminds me of being a child. There is a comfort to it. And it's it, I think it's because it can be made so quickly. Yeah. Like you just need the bread, the chicken, the tomato. And sometimes I don't even have tomato and the crisp. It's not and it's not something you say, Oh, do you want me to make you one of these? But if you bite into that, it's just sometimes it's like, mm, no, we don't need to add this. No, because I love some sandwiches with other stuff in, you know, I'll put a bit of rocket in, put this in, put that in. But sometimes it's a chicken sandwich. It's like, yeah, that's all right as it is. Sometimes we overcomplicate some things and I'm just like, no, can I just have the original, please? Yeah, you're a purist. You're a sandwich purist. I think my conversation with Ali revolved around the idea of comfort and that marginalised communities like the Caribbean community, who have lived in Britain for generations, have the right to be comfortable. And part of that is allowing vulnerable or isolated members to access that comfort in the form of food. Carabeets also tackles integration within Hackney's Caribbean community. So it provides a platform for people like the delivery driver's young son to directly connect with you know, some of his neighbours who pre-pandemic he might not have gotten a chance to really engage with. Ali shows that it's nice to be nice, you know, it's cool to care. And the food that we briefly talk about in this episode and her suggestion of that really simple chicken and crisp butty is all about home cooking and home comforts. And I know we often talk about comfort food as sometimes bad for us, maybe, or not the healthiest of food. But like Ali kind of mentions at the end there, sometimes there is a magic in food that lies beyond calorie counting. Sometimes food is about a connection. I'd like to thank Ali for taking the time out to talk to me because she's a very, very busy lady. I've posted a recipe for that delightful chicken butty up on the podcast blog, which is howtoeatalone.substack.com. You can subscribe to the Substack page and you'll receive extra recipes and news about the podcast. You can also follow How To Eat Alone on Instagram. The handle is at howtoeatalonepodcast. And because I'm really extra in the kitchen and, you know, sometimes just extra in general, I made the chicken butty a bit fancy because I always like to make food fancy, even if I'm just cooking for myself. So I added lemony mayo to the chicken and tomato. And I really like using unusual crisp flavours whenever I make myself a crisp butty. So in this case, I've used prawn cocktail, which is my second favourite flavour of crisps after salt and vinegar. I think talking about missing the food of your country and talking about kind of home comforts. Whenever I've lived outside the UK, I've always really, really missed British crisps. You know, all those like weird, ridiculous flavours. If you want to let me know which crisps you would put in a butty, I'm all ears. 
I'll accept all entries apart from cheesy crisps because I hate cheesy crisps. Disgusting. As always, if you like this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might like it too. And it's now also available on Apple Podcasts, which is great. So if this is where you get your pods from, give me some stars. I really hope you enjoyed being alone with me. I'll see you soon for the next episode of How to Eat Alone. Thanks for listening.